0: Welcome to a new episode of the African Developers Podcast. I am Kesir and my guest today is Moin Olua Adeyemi. Moin is an Android developer at Zola Electric. Moin, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Kesir.
0: Could you introduce yourself?
1: My full name is Moin Olua. although I go for Moin, by Moin for short. I'm an Android developer at Zola Electric. I, um, learned how to code in school where, in OAU, where I studied computer science with mathematics.
0: What is OAU?
1: Obafemi Awolowo University. That's a big school in Nigeria, in Ocean States. So, um, I studied computer science and then, well, I wouldn't say school necessarily taught me to code. I had a group of friends who knew how to program and I learned from them and, um, At the beginning, it was kind of a confusing part of which section of programming to focus on, but I eventually settled on building Android apps. And I've been building Android apps since
0: then. What exactly drove you to building Android apps? So for example, why, why are you not a web developer? Why Android specifically?
1: I think I just found it more interesting. And I think at that point, smartphones were just coming into circulation. So before then we had all these feature phones and for me it looked like there was a lot of opportunity to get apps to people's phones and it looked like a lot of people were going to be having those those um phones and I wanted to build specifically for that and um, Android was a no-brainer because um, the iOS phones are expensive and it looked like a lot more people are going to have Android phones than Apple phones, so I went with Android.
0: So you've been an Android developer at uh, Zola Electric for how long now? For two years now. What is Zola Electric?
1: Okay, um, it's a startup with the mission to power a million homes in Africa with solar energy and... We do this by providing solar products for our customers. So depending on what plan you're on, you can have the um, solar panels, inverters, bulbs, fans, aces. And then you can also have like a uh, big, in, really big inverters and use that as an alternate, alternate source of, instead of relying on the grid.
0: And it was previously called off-grid electric. So how does it work exactly? You set up solar in my house and then I pay to you monthly?
1: Yeah, well, there are two kinds of plans. Well, the first one is um, we set up the panels and then the other appliances. And you can choose to pay everything at once or you can choose to pay installmentally. And um, there's a plan for like three years. And after you do that, the system is your own.
0: I see. Yeah, I can definitely see the benefit of that because the the startup costs for setting up solar is actually quite high. So having the opportunity to pay monthly may be more affordable to most people. Yeah. Great. So what do you do at Zola Electric? What are your responsibilities?
1: Okay, my primary role is to work on the sales app. We have a sales app that our agents use as a work tool to sell the products so they can like, create leads, create orders, um, set up installations, check on their respective customers. They have things we call site sellers to sort of like presentations on the phone to like, um, what's it called now? Like slides on the phone to like help them sell the products better and they can like record what they do every day and submit submit a um, reports of their day. They can also, depending on what they want to do each day, visit the customer, um, call them or follow up with them. All that is done through the app. And because they work in places that have limited internet connection, we have to make sure that the app works very well offline. So that they can if they go to villages during the day, for example, and they have to go back to the cities, once they are able to connect back to the internet, then all the data will be uploaded.
0: So I remember seeing a tweet, I don't know if it was from you or from Anis Davis, about using SMS as a as a fallback. You work you work a lot in, in places where there's no internet. Did you ever explore the the idea of using SMS as a fallback for when there's no when there's no internet?
1: Okay, so while that is an option, that is not how like the Android app works. We have things called jobs
0: mm-hmm.
1: that allows you to like so think of it this way. You want to let's let's say you you've um gotten a lead, for example, a new customer and you've collected their details, you've entered it into the app and then you need to upload it to the server so a typical android app that connects to the internet for example would maybe try to connect and then tell you there's no internet connection when you try to submit right but our app does not work that way so what we do is we allow you jobs allow you like submit the data and then um, it's smart enough to know that if there's no internet it will keep retrying, and then once the phone once the phone gets internet connection, then it automatically syncs. So for all our use case, for our current use cases in the app, we usually don't use the SMS forward.
0: I see. So can you walk me through your typical day?
1: Uh, well, that's depending on whether I'm working from home or working from the office. So if I'm working from home, I move from my room to my office in like five seconds. <laughs> And um, I first check my calendar to see if I have any meetings and that will enable me to determine how the day is going to look like. And then I check Slack and my emails for any pending messages because as much as we have an office, my team is still distributed and people might have sent messages while I was off. So I have to make sure that I don't keep that nobody's blocked. And then I check for pending pull requests from maybe late the previous day. I try to attend to that before I start work. And we work in sprints, in two-week sprints. So usually at the start of the day, I already know all my tasks. And I just either continue a pending ticket or start up a new one.
0: So let's talk a little bit about uh, remote work. You mentioned that sometimes you work from home, sometimes you, you work from the office. It's something that has gained popularity in the software industry. A lot more people are working from home and a lot more companies are allowing their, their employees to work from home. What was that like for you? Like when you were when you started working from home? What adjustments did you have to make?
1: I think the Nigerian factor always comes in. So the two major pain points for anybody working from home in Nigeria is, is um, a strong internet connection and power supply. So, I had to set up some set myself up and make sure that I had stable good internet and 24 hour power, and that didn't come cheap, but somehow that was priority to me. So, at that point, I was kind of ready to pay anything to at least get those two sorted. And then, um, well, I kind of like being on my own, so the there wasn't like any feeling of being lonely or having to work like stay for maybe five days without seeing anyone. That wasn't a problem for me, although I know a lot of people complain about that. But at the same time, I had to like take up other activities that made me compulsively leave my house so that even if I don't have a reason to go out, at least I know, let's say I'm running in the evening, so I have to leave my house. But for me, it was a pretty smooth transition. I'm a lot more productive when I don't have to commit Another section I had to adjust on was being more communicative, because if you're working with people who can't see you, communication is important when you see people physically, but it's even extra important when they can't see you physically. And you don't want to leave people wondering what you're up to for the day, for example.
0: Yeah, I can imagine. I I had... Pretty much uh, the same experience. So, the company that I'm working for right now, I actually worked for for them remotely for six months before relocating. Yeah, and, and I, I did have to make some adjustments. Uh, so, one of the adjustments that I had to make personally was actually creating an office in my in my apartment. At first, I used to work from my bed.
1: Nah, that <laughs> that won't work.
0: I know, I know, right? And like, it really killed my productivity. So I had to like set up a physical office with a desk yeah, and all of need that.
1: a desk and a chair. <laughs> Those are two basic things.
0: Yeah. So like every morning when I wake up, I know that I have to physically move to my working area. Then, then I know I'm, I'm working. That physical separation was very useful. Did you Did you have to do anything special to sort of maintain your productivity apart from having an official work area?
1: I don't think I did anything extra. actually like the whole remote setup, so that it was very easy for me. But I've talked to people who said they can't do that, they would not work, or um, they can't um, hold themselves accountable to themselves, for example. But that yeah. was never a problem for me. Sometimes I even need to remember to take a break and <laughs> grab some food. Or wow. Something because I'm <laughs> so lost in what I'm doing, but... Yeah, so it wasn't too difficult for me to get used to that.
0: stuff. Yeah, I guess it comes down to personal discipline. If you're if you're the sort of person who can work without uh without supervision, and if you actually engage in what you do, if you actually enjoy what you do, then I guess it's easier there's one question that i forgot to ask at the beginning like how did you get this job because zola electric is not a nigerian company right
1: no i wouldn't say that there's a nigerian company now there's um, zola electric nigeria so all that was from was me like leveraging my gdg connections gdg is google developers group for Mm -hmm. and um, i'm the co-organizer of the group in lagos but before Lagos, back in uni, I was also an organizer, and um, we used to have this travel. I got, as a perk of being an organizer, I got a free trip to Google I.O. I stayed in touch with some of the people I met there, some of the other organizers from different countries, and uh, when it was time to switch, I started reaching out. So I had an idea of the kind of place I wanted to work next, although I didn't know what company. And then I started re- talking to a couple of people and some of them referred me to this particular place because they knew someone who was working here already and it felt like a good fit since the company was already in Africa and like they were addressing needs of the African market.
0: That's one of the reasons why networking is, is very important because you wouldn't yeah. have got that job if you, if you didn't. Like if you had gone to the conference and you stuck to yourself, you didn't talk to anyone, so yeah, networking is very important. Okay, so you mentioned you mentioned GDG. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Like, what is your role and what what have you been doing with the Google Developer Group?
1: Okay, so um, Google Developer Groups are groups that are set up. their branches all over the world, and we basically deal with Google technology, organize events around them, and. Um, there's also the women Technicas part of the group that's more focused on women in tech. I've been an organizer since 2013. I, I joined the group in OAU and that was where I met the community of people who, student developers who either knew how to program or were learning or wanted to be better. And it was a very active community and I ended up becoming the lead there before I left. And um, when I moved to Lagos, it just seemed very natural for me to want to check out the community in Lagos and become a co-organizer for the group in Lagos. So we organized events. Last year, we had the Deaf Fest where we had 2,000 attendees and about 20 sessions with about 20 speakers. Some called in remotely and some were there physically. So if it's Android or Google Cloud or Flutter or Polymer, like so far it's a Google technology, then we can organize an event, meet up around it.
0: So I'm going to drag us back a little bit. Um, okay. What was your first experience with computer science or with programming more specifically?
1: I wasn't one of those kids who knew what they wanted to be when they grew up. Like I just kind of been faking um, it <laughs> until now. So in second, at the end of secondary school, I liked math. And I hated biology, so I knew that being a doctor, or a pharmacist, was out of the question. And then I was looking through, there's something called JAMB in Nigeria. There's an exam you have to take after secondary school before getting into uni. And um, I saw computer science with math on the brochure. And uh, I saw math, so I figured I could maybe manage to get through the computer science part of it, because math was there, and I decided to go for that. I didn't know what I was getting into. All I knew was there's maths in this course, so it won't be so bad. But boy, <laughs> was I wrong. <laughs> but it wasn't totally bad afterwards. But I think for me, it was more of the community of people, of developers in the school rather than the course itself. Of course, we had a few like intro to Fortran, intro to, intro to Java, um, computer architecture courses, but I won't say that's the main reason I started programming, but I started because I had friends who were also learning and who were willing to teach. And we have, so imagine like hundred fired up students with a lot of ginger and energy and passion who want to learn or who want to teach others. And that's transfer of knowledge over like four or five years. But so that's really what got me into it. And um there were a lot of competitions. There was the Google Cloud Developer Challenge and a lot, all of that where you get to either win a lot of money or get to travel and all of that. So all that was good motivation for students like us who were still very hungry for knowledge. Then,
0: So you said it wasn't as easy as you thought it would be. What, what were some of the things that made it difficult?
1: Anyone knows that as secondary school maths is different from university maths. So yeah. in secondary school, you had calculations, and you had to keep going. But to my greater surprise, in university, like there were some subjects, some math subjects that you had to do without calculations, like proofs and theorems and all of that. And so like, okay, <laughs> what did I get myself into? But well, the typical Niger spirit, like you are going to get through it. Put your head down, like read books, and somehow you are. You can't put down a Nigerian person. We always find a way to make it through. Yeah, I guess that was it. But then we had um, a couple of interesting computer science courses. I can't remember exactly everything now, but there were a few fascinating things. And although there were some courses, I wish like I understood the importance while I was taking them because now it's like after school and you really need to, depending on what's where you're aiming, um, you really need to brush up your skills and know what you're talking about. And you discover that okay, maybe some of those courses were totally useless, but maybe they could have been taught in a way to make you like appreciate them.
0: So, what was your first programming language?
1: That would be Fortran. Does that count?
0: Wow, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those things that I know people were studying like 20 years ago. Oh, I didn't wow. realize like people my age actually studied Fortran. Did you enjoy it?
1: Yeah, it was pretty decent. At least I wrote code that could compile and have a bunch of if and else statements. Do
0: you, do you feel that your experience with Fortran in any way helped you when you started uh, doing more modern programming?
1: I would say maybe the concepts, maybe learning the concepts may be easier because at least then we didn't have to talk about let's say conditionals, for example, the loops, I kind of already had a basic idea of what that was. So all I was looking to do was like, okay, so we do this in Fortran, how do I do it in Java? But I didn't know OOP, there was no object-oriented programming with Fortran. So that was like an entirely new, different way of thinking about programming that we didn't have in Fortran. And then with Fortran, you I don't think I did any serious programming. All I did was like try to solve um, the typical questions that would come up. But with Java and like with programming for the real world, there are a lot of other things, other things to consider. Like, um, you have to think of code architecture. You have to think of tests. You have to think of um, clean codes, writing maintainable code, which of what you won't get with Fortran. All I did with Fortran was to answer questions and pass my exams.
0: So do you feel, would you say that the the Nigerian, so this is a complaint that a lot of African developers have that our exactly. educational system does not prepare us for modern software development. Is that something that you, you think is true of the Nigerian ed- educational system as well?
1: As much as I'm grateful I, I went to school, I'm more grateful that I met the people I met rather than more than like the course I studied. So I don't think our curriculum is enough. We need to we need to do a lot of work to ramp it up to match what is currently happening in this century or in this period. Because if you're going to go to school and think that you will rely on only the curriculum and come out and be able to compete with other people who are doing what you do, then that's a big mistake at least for the course I studied and how I studied it.
0: Yeah. If if you had a magic wand and you could transform the Nigerian curriculum, for example, for computer science specifically, what are some of the things that you would change? That's a big question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would make it more about the marks So I've heard of, I've not schooled, I've done a couple of courses online, but that's the process I've gone with schooling outside the nigerian environment but i would make it small about um let's see of course there'll be learning and stuff but the questions will not be about like reading your book and coming to pour all the answers out like you will see questions and you will have to there might not even be a right answer right but like just mm-hmm. to test your reasoning and stuff like it's not going to be an exam where you have to come and pull out everything you read and you get marks. no I have to see that you thought through what you gave me, like you actually applied what you give what you were taught and then you can think of that in useful ways and then maybe there might be more practical classes. Would maybe probably do do away with Fortran, although I've heard arguments that (laughs) no, I've actually heard arguments in favor of Fortran that it's not bad as an introductory language. But then maybe we'll have more of um, real life courses and how things are done in the typical world and then maybe a couple of like intro to intro to web development or Android development or anything so that instead of having to find this out on their own, students start, start thinking about these things while they're still students and that kind of determine where they want to end up in the future. They can start thinking about that wellness instead of discovering that accidentally. Although the fundamentals do are still important, like I'll still vote for the compact texture classes, the um data structures and algorithms, because also having a knowledge of how computers work before actually programming programming in it is very important too.
0: Great. So you you describe yourself as an Android developer, but I know you've explored a lot of other technologies and you've been doing a lot of uh, work with TensorFlow and you've also been exploring with things like Flutter. So I wanted to ask, like, what are some technologies that you are very excited about?
1: If I were to accomplish all the things on my to-do list, I would be a machine learning developer by now. Because I, I like... I like building for mobile, obviously. So not just Android. I like the fact that I can build an app that a lot of people would get on their devices. But if there's a way to make it higher take it higher, like make the app smarter, then I'm all for that. Actually that was one of the reasons why I've been exploring the ML kit released by Google. So I won't say I know a lot about TensorFlow now to call myself a Machine learning developer, for example, but it's one of the things I hope to eventually get up to speed with because I know there are a lot of there are a lot of useful applications of this, and and it's it's the applications that excite me actually. I am more excited about what I can do with it than with the technology itself. So it's like if it's ML that's going to get me there, fine. I'm going to learn it and learn how to use it to upgrade my own apps.
0: So, what are some of the resources you've been using to learn a market? Like, what what is your learning strategy?
1: Okay, well, um, thankfully, people put out a lot of materials online these days. So, um, the first thing I do is to check if the company who released the new tech I want to learn has official articles about it and code labs, so I, and videos. So, I go through that first, and then because of the kind of community we have people are willing to share so most likely someone would have written a blog post somewhere about using the mlp so in case you can't like follow the official documentation then you have all these other articles by good people of the community to follow through and one thing i always make sure to do is that if i learned something and let's say i was looking for a specific answer and i didn't get it and Somehow I manage to do it. Then when I finally eventually get it, then I make sure that I write, I write an article and just put it online because you don't know who you might be helping. And funny enough, you might be helping your future self because I found myself in situations where I learned something, write an article and then I don't use that thing for months. And then months later, I come back looking for help and I Google and my article is the first one. So that's my own strategy for learning. Articles, videos from the official source, and then the unofficial ones. And then if I find something new, I write about it.
0: That's something I've actually been trying to practice myself. One of the obstacles for me is that a lot of the things I feel like are too stupid. Like it's way too easy. Like nobody will be interested in...
1: No, please Just think about it like you have future-proofing yourself. You might need to do that same thing in future, and you will need to look it up. If you don't document how you did it right this first time, then you're not going to get help next time. And there's always someone looking for an intro to something, so no article is stupid. Even if someone else writes about it, you might bring a different perspective to it. So please just go ahead and write.
0: Exactly cool so besides machine learning what else are you what other technologies are you excited about
1: well currently i've been learning flutter it's like a framework that lets you write apps that so can run on both android and ios and i think getting started with it it's not too difficult but it's a bit different from how we write apps in android but once you get past that then i think you're good to go
0: one of the things that actually Made Flutter interesting to me was the different way of writing the code. Let's even uh, put the the argument about or writing apps for two platforms aside. Even if you were just writing for Android, there's a huge difference between writing it with the the usual Android SDK in Java or Kotlin and writing it in Dart. So one example I use is
1: so you prefer Dart to Kotlin.
0: Yes, Did you
1: say actually. Yes? Yeah. Oh, my
0: God. Wow. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you why. So writing Android apps with Java, of course, is very verbose. So Kotlin sort of solved part of that. Kotlin is a lot more concise and more expressive. But still, it's, you still have to deal with activities for each page, activities of fragment for each page. So let me give you one simple example. Writing, making a, a, a list, making a view in Android, for example. You still have to write
1: yeah adapters and all right. of
0: that adapters and all of those things in flutter it's actually very simple so to me that's that's how mobile development should be I feel like the idea of having activities for each page sort of constrained Android from the beginning you
1: don't have to have activities for each page yeah you can have a single activity and architecture in android is another conversation entirely but <laughs> I don't know. I've been doing it for a while so I'm pretty used to it and I mean it's Kotlin
0: true I had a pet project that I had been writing in Java I started writing it in Java and then Kotlin became popular so I switched to Kotlin and then I tried I tried Flutter one day And I would just decided to rewrite the whole application in Flutter. And it took me like two days, something I had been writing in, in, well, I guess it's not Android's fault. It's just that I like to experiment with new stuff whenever it comes up. That's, that's why it dragged over like six months, but then in less than a week, I was able to, I was able to replicate all of that in Flutter. And now I actually have an iOS app as well. So these days I've actually been doing less and less, uh, Kotlin and a lot more Flutter
1: for me, the Flutter advantage is the ease of getting both platforms. Like, if you want to, you have you want you have a proof of concept you want to try out, and you need both platforms, then you can knock out a Flutter app in one day, and you have both platform both apps for both platforms. But looking at it generally, like, um, I personally needed to have an app, and I wanted for both platforms, and I wanted it to be around for a long long while then i don't know i might still consider building native native apps for the two platforms
0: cool so i'm curious what do you do when you're not writing software i run to relax (laughs) wow you run when nobody's chasing you
1: yeah well (laughs) i I, I like running i don't know there's this thing runners high it's a thing like you run and you're so happy you're feeling so happy with yourself I've run a marathon this year. I've run over 200 kilometers this year. And the goal is to get to 1,200. That's a really small goal, by the way. But there's that. Um, I like reading. I'm currently reading Becoming by Michelle Obama. Um, what else do I do? I dance. I have videos of me dancing that will never make it to the internet.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. What sort of dance do you doing?
1: Also, I like also, I think that if, if you're a good dancer, then you should be able to do everything. But I, nice hear, my zank- <laughs> I hear my I Zanku and footwork is very good, but you will never find videos of that online. So you have to see it. <laughs> you have to see it to know it. And then what else do I do? Yeah, those are the major things I do outside. But I especially like running because it makes me get out of my house. And then I've met, I've met a lot of people from running that are not in my usual circle of tech friends.
0: And it also ties into this idea of taking care of your body because as, as a software developer, we are sitting yeah. most of the day sitting on the screen. So it's very important to have some sort of physical activity. Yeah, true. So I had I had one last question. Is there anything that you're currently working on that you would like to share with the community?
1: then major. So these days I've been focused more on um nothing that i want to share but these days i've been focused more on like leveling up and getting past the stage of being a code monkey and um talking having more conversations about code quality um communication at work um what else specking out um speaking out tickets instead of like just sitting there and letting someone assign up to you, I feel like stepping up to have a conversation with product managers and stakeholders to determine what will be built. And I really don't have any, a lot of side projects these days. I'm more focused on like being a well-rounded developer.
0: Cool. So since you didn't have anything of your own, any side project that you're working on, is there anything that you've come across recently? that you are really impressed by, that you want to share with the community? Tech stuff. Oh, it, it could be non-tech stuff as well. Anything that you feel other people might enjoy or benefit from.
1: Okay, how about this? Why not people contribute more instead, instead of like, looking for stuff <laughs> to benefit more? I want to see more articles and content from people here, instead of like just... I know a lot of work has gone into producing work, from developers Mm -hmm. in this region, but maybe we should see more of that.
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. (laughs) And I think I'm gonna commit to writing at least one article in the next month. We're reaching the end of the the interview. Thanks a lot for coming on and sharing your, your experience. Yeah,
1: thanks for inviting me, I had fun.
0: This was another episode of the African Developers Podcast. If you have any comment or feedback, you can tweet at us at Podcast. To be automatically notified of subsequent episodes, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. We are available on iTunes, Spotify, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Stitcher, pretty much
1: everywhere.